0: are made possible by donations from people like you.
1: I mentioned yesterday about the place of inquiry in Zen practice, and in traditional Zen practice that was primarily koans. And um, as you, you know, you're all familiar with the, the hand of one hand clapping and so on. Uh, the uh, the koan was taken up as a question and uh, the student would then have a, a private interview with uh, the teacher. Sometimes there were public interviews. So There was a slightly different form of... Uh, meditation to just sitting. So it was a medi- meditating on a question using the question as a as a means of inquiry. In contemporary uh, times, uh, people still use <coughs> classical kinds. Um, but also the, uh, apart from the, uh, those classical spiritual questions such as, who am I, which can be taken up in meditation. Inquiry also takes the form of really um, exploring the barriers, if you like, um, that get in the way of um, experiencing joy and peace in this moment. So, in a lot of contemporary practice, it takes a more psychological form. That can be in a private interview, but um, it can also be done in group as well. So, later on this afternoon, we'll have have another um, um, opportunity to practice that. The um, <coughs> in 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 traditional spiritual um, experience and traditions of all different kinds, you would have all come across the notion of the dark night of the soul, mm-hmm. and um, you know. Um, Mythologists like Joseph Campbell captured that notion in The in the, uh, the Hero with a Thousand Faces in terms of the journey of the hero. And the, uh, that journey also always involves some kind of descent into the underworld. So in our more contemporary language, um, it's... Um, I guess, uh, more about exploring those, uh, if you want to call it the shadow or the darker places or the places that uh, we prefer to avoid um, in terms of our spiritual practice because um, that which we resist tends to persist and uh, that which we lock away tends never to go away. So, um, and this is also the really one of the answers to to that famous Dogen, that famous 13th century then teacher, who basically his own personal command was, if we're all already have this enlightened nature, why do we have to practice? And uh, so, this is one one answer to that. that um, if we don't get practiced, um, we, can, we, we, we keep on getting dragged back into some kind of suffering. Even though we know, and even though we have glimpses and moments of joy and peace and love, even though we, we, we maybe even have a deep experiential understanding of that or experience of that, we can still uh, get. Uh, called back into various forms of suffering. So I guess you know Dogen's question: Why, why can't we always well. be effortlessly joyful and uh, and loving all the time? And for, you know maybe there are beings like that. Um, maybe you've met someone like that. But for most of us. Um, We 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 move in in and out of 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 a kind of a very loving place, and sometimes into a more darker place. And that takes various forms for all of us. So what I mentioned yesterday was this notion of a karmic body or a pain body, Uh, the sense in which uh, not only when we are born do we uh, we um, and. we are inevitably um, affected by the suffering of our parents, and our parents are inevitably affected by the suffering of their parents, and so on and so on. And you can even you know, put that into, as I said, a collective context as well, and how our culture can affect us in that way too, how our, the kind of culture that we live in, Even though we're not individually responsible for it, it can cause us all kinds of suffering as well. That's why a lot of um, um, Buddhists um, regard themselves as engaged Buddhists, that they, not just Buddhists, I mean, it could be any kind of religion or non-religion, who see the importance of engaging in social social justice actions and uh, ecological actions and so forth. Because, uh, in a sense, when we, when we uh, are divided within ourselves, when when we we lock away our own kind of refugees within ourselves, it's um, inevitably we 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 enact that out on the world, and also on the environment. When we don't see the world as being part of our body, we pollute it. Sometimes in my in my work as a counsellor, I get the opportunity to meet with young people, and uh, you've probably come across this. You know, there are some young people who are incredibly sensitive, uh, and uh, one one particular young man that comes to mind who was um, was talking to him a few days ago and. uh, He's literally, literally heartbroken by the pollution in the Never Never River uh, and around the town in general. He's very, very sensitive to environmental degradation, um, and um, maybe, maybe more young people will be starting to have that sense, uh, and um, maybe they will be able to reverse some of the degradation that our generation has wrought upon the planet. So, you know, a lot of our work in Zen is go, we go inward, Um, because unless we free uh, the prisoners within, it's very difficult for us to save other beings, we have to save all the little older beings within ourselves to begin with. And uh, the, uh, the kinds of accumulated suffering we all, the kind of karmic or pain bodies that we all have vary from person to person. You know, some people have incredibly severe um, traumas, uh, that they, like their parents may have been severely traumatized, they may be severely traumatized, they may be collectively traumatized by war and some of us may be more fortunate and uh, have been born into loving parents and uh, never having had to go to war and that kind of thing. And, but even, even those of us who are fortunate, um, you know, no child escapes those little tea traumas um, of rejection and, uh, and so on. So, I'm going to continue using the metaphor of, of the guest house because it's one of my favorite metaphors, as you probably know. And, um, and I, I like that notion of, of I mean, uh, Joko talks about Zen practice as being a kind of alchemy, you know, that sense of the alchem- alchemical transformation that occurs when we, we sit in stillness and silence, and as we're building what she calls a bigger container. And, uh, or you can see it as, 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 we're, as we're building our guest house. And I'm just going to give the, the guest house a little bit of a, a, bit of a twist. And, uh, so, <coughs> the, the, the master of the guest house, or the host of the guest house, or the guest house itself, if you like, is this sense of undying, timeless presence the sense of this... Buddha nature, if you like, it sometimes gets referred to, or true nature, or just simply being awareness. And the sense that many of our guests come and go freely, so, um, usually, you know, perceptions and sensations, or particularly perceptions like visual perceptions, sounds, can often be quite pleasant, quite beautiful, and can, can be gateways into the mystery, as can sounds be. There are many, many stories of, of Zen practitioners realising the true nature, uh, at the sound, the sound of something falling, or a duck quacking, or the sound of water in a waterfall, or a creek bubbling away. Any of those kinds of dharmas are gateways into that oneness where that sense of inside and outside totally collapses, where the sense of separation totally collapses. And it's just there. It's just that I experienced that once with a buzzing fly. It's just Everything collapsed. It was just the buzzing. I was just the buzzing. There was no longer a fly out there, I was just a buzzing. I'm sure you've all had little moments like that. So many of our, of these guests, these momentary guests, come and go quite freely. And um, in a sense, you can, uh, uh, as, as we're almost being reborn every moment, almost like a different <coughs> self is being born and died, and so on, at all. But sometimes, especially when we're younger but also as adults um, what we experience can be so painful or overwhelming that um, uh, it's not able to pass through us in some way and uh, it over- it overwhelms our guest house if you like and uh, we have to we have to um, we, ha- we have to get rid of it and and um, We have to expel it in some way. And uh, also remember too, when we were children, um, nobody usually introduced us to the notion of the master of the guest house, that there was some kind of host. So when these difficult guests, traumatizing guests, enter into our guest house, Um, if they're too overwhelming, we just have to um, um, really reject them, and, and that's how the basement to the guest house gets built. So we, we, uh, or the attic, you know, the, those kinds of Dickens stories, usually the mad person in the attic, or it could be in the basement or the dungeon, you know, so that they get locked away, and. Uh, they're locked in time and that sense of a traumatic memory is frozen in time and uh, remains in fear and dissociation at that particular age, at that particular time. And uh, as we lock these, uh, they become exiled. And, um, And then, uh, in response to that, uh, we also uh, create, um, I guess, uh, inner guardians uh, or, or guards, even, um, to make sure these exiles don't get out, um, because if they get out, they, we re-experience those overwhelming feelings again. <clears throat> so. We develop these, uh, we develop these inner, inner guards, and keep the the exiles locked away, and uh, we also develop more, um, if you like, externally focused protectors or managers that do their best to make sure that we don't put ourselves in situations where those those in, those, those 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 parts of ourselves that are in prison can. Uh, be activated and escape. So we keep those hurt parts locked away, and uh, we make sure that nothing will trigger them or distress them. But of course, that's almost impossible. And uh, at times, we do get triggered, and they do escape, and that's when our more impulsive parts jump in and try and. Uh, get rid of them again through some more impulsive action, such as drug-taking or alcohol or self-harming, self-cutting, etc, lots of different ways. And you can imagine after a while, uh, when we got all these different parts of ourselves locked away, a lifetime or accumulation of that, it must take an incredible amount of energy to keep that up. And um, so All that energy that gets invested in keeping these parts locked away inevitably drains our life force, makes us less alive. We become drained and exhausted and fatigued. At times we do our best to distract ourselves and we we go in seeking in search of happiness and sometimes we might find happiness for a short period of time but as long as these exiles remain locked away it's very difficult for us to... um, to find some sense of more uh, long-lasting joy. And of course, as long as they remain hidden, they, con- they, they, they continue to pop out often in intimate relationships because it's often in the context of a family relationship or an intimate relationship in which these exiles are born. And uh, so they're often triggered by intimate relationships. So, so they can also play havoc with our relationships and we get triggered more in relationships because that's usually where the original hurt happened. But if we're lucky, you know, we continue to hear the call to come home. We we take up a practice like Zen or something else and we have glimpses of joy. That glimpse maybe becomes a joy and maybe the glow becomes a light. And sometimes we may see that who we truly are is boundless and inherently free and was never damaged or hurt in any way. Even when we realize that light of knowing, then perhaps we can open that door to the basement and walk down those steps into the dungeons carrying our lamp before us. Um, this is in fact a very shamanic, shamanistic practice, uh, which is found in uh, some t- Buddhist traditions and. Particularly in Tibetan tantric traditions, and, yeah. and um, so we uh, we go down into the basement uh, with our light of wisdom and compassion, and uh, in a shamanic kind of context, it was often referred to as soul retrieval, uh, but in the sense from a trauma point of view, we. We descend down into the dungeons to free our prisoners, and uh, we first of all we need to to acknowledge, recognise them, witness them, give them a voice, allow them to speak their story, or if they're too young that they can't even tell a story, allow them just to. We just allow ourselves to consciously blend with the, with the fear, with the feelings, something we couldn't do when we were younger. Now with our light of wisdom, courage of our compassion, we can allow ourselves to feel what they felt and not be overwhelmed. We can hear their stories, we can witness their story. And then we can rescue and retrieve them. We can bring them out of the past and into the present. And we can ask them where they would like to live. Can they even feel us? Can we feel our love? Can they feel like And When they start to trust that they can feel us, that's really important sometimes because they've been locked away for so long that they've certainly disconnected with our own sense of love and compassion. So they need to trust us and uh, trust that we can look after them. (coughs) And in that process, they're transformed. They're taken out of the frozen fear from the past and we can give them a new life of joy in the present. If it's a child that's locked away, we can free the child and allow the child to play for the first time, and we can enjoy that energy of play. I'll just finish with a little story about a, uh, a young 18-year-old uh, woman i have been seeing. And, um, she was telling me a story, um, and a lot of the threads or themes in her story were about rejection or not being wanted or feeling unwanted and uh, so that might be simply doing some work experience in the kitchen and she suddenly finds herself that other people are talking among themselves and she feels left out or of course a much bigger one would be a rejection of a boyfriend. And uh, in the past, that would be again would be so those feelings would be so overwhelming. She would often self harm, and of course, there was also historically a background of a a birth father that wasn't present. And uh, when she met her birth father, when she was about ten or eleven, he didn't really show that much interest in her, even though she'd uh, carried that dream or that hope for a long time. So she experienced another abandonment or another rejection. And um, fortunately, she had a, um, other uh, women members of the family who were very strong and very supportive. And um, so I asked her to bring a memory to mind about a time in the past when she felt unwanted, um, rejected. Or she brought up a memory of when she was about nine years old and uh, uh, ninth birthday party and uh, she invited ten people, ten friends to the party and nobody came. And uh, so that little, that, that, at that point that little self was exiled away with that with carrying that burden of that pain, thinking that there must be something wrong with her and um, so we did some she went back and we went back in to visit this little girl and uh, she was able to do that and the little girl was able to feel her love and uh, the little girl was interested in dropping that burden sometimes these parts Mm. don't trust us and sometimes they actually don't want to give up those burdens the burdens can be these feelings of rejection or abandonment or shame, or they can be particularly core beliefs that these different parts are carrying, such as um, "I'm ugly" or whatever it might be. And um, she was wanting to drop those beliefs as well, and so we we uh, came up with this, um, you know, this uh, this kind of imaginary processing where we could let go of those burdens and. Sometimes you ask, do you want to use one of the four elements to do that, or light, or some metaphor. Mm. And uh, so she came up with, uh, she let go, of the little child let go of the burden, and, and I said, yeah, what, what, what happened? And she said, it flew off as a white dove into the sky. Mm. And uh, so she was able to release that little nine-year-old part from Particular prison cell. But there would be other parts still in the prison cell and there would be more work to do. That's just one example. So I'll finish that. And uh, you can either ask a question or you can share something. It's fine either way. Or you can just remain quiet. You don't have to talk.
0: Earlier on in your talk, Andrew, you um, talked about doing the um, sort of kind of a, move, a thing between the inner and outer. Going inside yourself to find your wholeness, to find your, your completeness. Um, but at the same time, it's uh, just related to something that I'm sort of going through in terms of, uh, in the past, you know, my experience with spiritual work is that some people just become really self-obsessive with um, just totally focusing on their inner work and um, not necessarily expressing that in a way in the external world. You know, we are talking about the young man who sees sees the the degradation that's going on in the world. so sensitively, and uh, so the thing that um, you know, it's also a sense that I've often had in my life. You know, it's one of the reasons I moved to this beautiful place, just to kind of escape that view. And um, but also with this sort of work that I'm doing now, that where I am. With that, you know, this this idea of, of using the work you're doing on your, your inner completeness to turn that into a kind of a service in, in, the, in the real world. And the realization that even the, the smallest act can have um, certainly means something to you, but I think every action does have an equal and opposite reaction. And, Part of the thing that I'm just starting to experience. Um, I've been doing some uh, kind of just recently uh, fell into some community work, and uh, it just kind of happened. I didn't create it. And, uh, I realised that I'm getting a great sense of joy from giving something back to my community, and and I'm sort of. Trying to sort of integrate that into other parts of my life. So it's like if I, I do care about the environment and I, I, I do, I am sensitive to pollution and stuff like that. It's, it's, even if I just pick up a plastic bag out of a, out of a river or, or or a piece of rubbish that's on the street, I, I, I realise that I'm, I'm doing something of service. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's. Um, you know, it's just—it's nice sense of integration yeah. with the with the, the spiritual practice that I think enables you to, to become sensitive yeah. to that. Yeah, uh, yeah. even that yeah. simple
1: act of picking up some rubbish on the street yeah. that we didn't deposit is an expression of that. Yeah. So
0: uh, I just that just kind of resonated with me.
1: I mean, maybe other people i um, I wouldn't describe myself as an environmental activist, um, there's maybe other people in this room who have spent more time doing that but i i, I when I was taught for this young man, I got to thinking, you know what does it mean to be an echo warrior and I was reminded of the work of Joanna Macy. it's a long time since I read her work. I don't know John C, but I know he they sometimes come and do retreats here mm-hmm. and um but I also would have, I would have met and I was saying to this young man, there's probably a lot of grieving that needs to be done for the earth. And uh, it's a sense in which one can, uh, <coughs> so that grieving doesn't overwhelm us, so to be able to grieve, so that our compassion for the environment doesn't turn into hate for the people who are polluting the environment. With the notion of the inner work, I found in my experience that the more able we are to transform and accept those parts within ourselves that we may have rejected or locked away, um, that work that we do with our inner parts helps us with how we relate to people when we we see that they might be coming from a a hurt part as well. When we've done that inner work with ourselves, we're more able to be like that in relationship as well.
0: Yeah, yeah I, I think it's, you know, it's part of the thing that's starting to evolve or happen with me, in particularly you know, like it's just my experience that the, the inner work that, you know, I've been doing um, is allowing me to um, move into doing service kind of work with a joy. Whereas in the the past, probably not that long ago, you know, if somebody had asked me to get involved with this group to do community work, um, there might have been a part in me that was had a resentment because oh well, I've got to do the right thing, but um, there are other things I should be doing, you know. Whereas um, I just and embrace. uh, I find myself easily embracing all the moments, even though there are stressful. Parts of it and and, and demands on time, so it's just uh, yeah, you know, it's an interesting
1: sort of. Uh, that's beautiful, Mark. And but you know, when you read all those yeah. stories that you know Joseph Campbell put into the journey of the hero, mm-hmm. you know, it concludes with service.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, yeah, I sort of always you know, felt that that's an important. <coughs> It's a noble thing to do, you know. it's, mm. it's, it's, um, but you know, the, again, the balance. You know, you can't completely give yourself over service because we all also have our own life dreams and visions. You know, mm. but
1: uh, it can be so. You can be of service being an artist.
0: Yeah. yeah. I mean, they get served by it first, by the joy of what they're doing and then afterwards you're hoping it's helping the people around you. And I find that so funny the way it's always split into this dichotomy of, you know, you're doing stuff for yourself, you're doing stuff for others and the environment or whatever, but the minute you're doing something for the other, um, it's probably bringing you more joy than more stuff you're doing for yourself anyway. So I always find that dichotomy. To me, it bring so off you know,
1: in some ways. Well, absolutely, from the dualistic perspective, but you've hit the nail on the head, Rennie. When, uh, when we're providing service to the other, we're providing service to ourselves. Mm.
0: Mm. Mm. But these, you know, the question is: is is that your intention, or is that your motivation for yeah. you do it? Well, I think you that's Important there. Mm-hmm. Um, or is it a yeah, yeah, it's a byproduct, that's right. Well, I think it's a good point, it's often sort of like your own cup, sort of thing, like when you're doing your own work and you build your data, that's when it's more able to flow off to other people. Mm. I think mm-hmm. You feel better about what you do. Mm. Like yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and that's when you're able to give with grace rather than resentment. That's right, because right. yeah. you're yeah. not coming from the yeah, It's hard not Yeah, I think it's important to sort of uh, choose what you, what it is you want to give. You know, that's, um, you don't that you know, I, 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 naturally. Sorry, yeah, um, I was Um, naturally, uh, and just interested in this area of work that I found myself getting more involved in, you know, because mm. uh, and that's an interesting thing as well, you know, through life, it, um, in terms of wanting to help all to do something with so many aspects of, of the issues that are around, you know, it, it's. Uh, This is another classic thing, you know, the individual in society feeling so helpless that they, you know, so disconnected from the the bigger picture that they don't do anything. You know, there's the sense of, Mm -hmm. and I've had that in my life too. What's the point? You know, what's the point? It's so big, it's so huge. We can't, one person can't change it. Um, but uh, and, and I've also had those kind of senses that those sort of thing, those situations in my life. But, um, I, yeah, I've just come to a point where I realise that um, that it, it is all resolvable. and and it, and it comes about through, you know, conscious actions of human beings, you know, to a certain extent. It's, it's, the more conscious human beings become, um, the more they're going to make conscious choices about these things. I'll give you one example. Um, I was watching this comedian the other night. And he said, you want to you wanna put McDonald's out of business? do not go there. <laughs> <laughs> yes.
1: You know? Yes. You said,
0: yes. if, if nobody goes to McDonald's yes. and buys that crap, mm-hmm. then they simply go out of business. Mm-hmm. They cease yeah. to exist. Mm-hmm. It's, and, and really, in a sense, it's that simple. Mm, you know? Mm. Um, yeah, oh, I'm just using that as an example. I mean, it's, it's, <coughs> it's a fantasy in a sense, but it, it's, it was an interesting point, you know? Mm. Also, mm. I think yeah, it's mm. that's almost that thought of um, if we stop looking at, at ourselves as separate, mm. what you we just saying before, and look at ourselves as all part of a whole, like one person can't do everything, but we're only one part of the whole, because mm. all the other parts mm. are together, mm. and you mm. do what you do. Yeah. Well, mm. Mike, yeah, Mike,
1: Mike, Mike, could we go to yeah. McDonald's once a year? <laughs> 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 no, <laughs> no, no. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So many of us, they'd still be able to be open. <laughs> but it's interesting, I think thing about what you take your attention away from, sort of withers and, you know, if you take your attention away from the problems and take your business away.
1: we reach the conclusion. Is that a collective conclusion? (coughs) Silence (laughs) and stillness. (laughs) We (laughs) reach a cessation in the energetic movement. Are we okay to finish now? I was just going to say, the more conscious you
0: are, as a parent,
1: you know, the has children. I mean yeah. i run up there, I can see. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, with right. this young with this young man, his mum was great. Right? and what she has, has a really good understanding of it. Mm-hmm. His mother was really beautiful, you know. And mm-hmm. um, she had a really good understanding of what he was going through. Whereas I thought if that had been another parent who didn't mm-hmm. understand what he was mm-hmm. going through, would it would have be been much worse for him.
0: Yeah. Yeah.